Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit Somblings, Podcast 258. This time I have a bunch of stuff to say about XCOM 2, and there's a little bit of stuff to talk about in the news, but that's all I have for this time. Hopefully you'll enjoy the show. So I have played about probably 75 hours of XCOM 2 off the top of my head. I have beaten the first difficulty setting, and I was playing on the second difficulty setting to start off with because the last one had, I think, five difficulty settings. And the second one in the first game was pretty much the sort of beginner-ish level. But this one kind of seems to have a much steeper uh, difficulty ramp. And the first one seems about the same as the previous game's second difficulty setting. So unless you are a total XCOM expert, I would recommend everybody start on the first difficulty setting. And that's kind of disappointing that there is such a big difference between the first and second difficulty. I'm having a bit of a tough time on the second difficulty, even though I've finished the first one now. It's taken me several games to sort of not get trounced in the first few rounds. So that seems kind of sad, because that means that people who are sort of newer to the genre may have an extra difficult time sort of learning with this second game as uh, their first experience. It's kind of unforgiving in that way. But XCOM 2 is a turn-based strategy combat game with resource management and sort of a touch of board game strategy. The game takes place 20 years after the first game, and due to the low percentage of players who actually beat the first game on any difficulty setting, the developers decided for the second game, that's the direction they would go for, and the XCOM force sort of starts from a position of previously losing the war, and they're sort of struggling to keep that fight going and rebuild uh, the XCOM sort of unit force and uh, make a second attempt to sort of reclaim the world. The new thing for XCOM 2 is the board game-like global strategy, which is a big change from the first one. The first one was kind of like missions would just come up somewhere in the world and you would pick one of a couple and fly over to the one you wanted. And you sort of had the world under your influence, as it were. You had support from all the nations and you would slowly lose them. Since this game is starting from the opposite position, it kind of works pretty much in the opposite fashion. You start in one zone, and you have to make connections and build outward to get access to the different regions. The big change with that is that events will come up, you'll get sort of support in this area, or there'll be something going on over in this other area, and each thing that's happening has sort of a real-world number of turns uh, before it will stop happening. The game won't tell you how long that is, so you kind of always have to prioritize 
which thing you want to go sort of activate and follow up on. Because each thing will take, it's usually around three days, but sometimes as long as five days to sort of sit at that location. And then you have to basically spend your turns there uh, for that many turns, not necessarily in a row. You can partially finish something and then something else important will come up that wants your attention right away. You can go do that and then uh, come back to the other thing. But that makes it a very interesting sort of ticking clock. And you have to watch all of the things, which things are the most important, which things are important to finish first, uh, which things, you know, you're okay with breaking away from if something else comes up. So that adds on a very new and interesting layer to sort of the global board game-like strategy. As I said, you start in one zone, and that will be random for each game, as far as I can tell. I've started pretty much in a different zone each time. And then you have to spend this resource there calling Intel in order to lock adjacent zones. And Intel is sometimes gained by doing certain things, but mostly it's gained sort of on a monthly basis. You'll get this big boost of Intel, or you can sit at your home base and spend turns there, as it were, game turns. And you'll gain Intel for pretty much each turn you spend there, you'll gain a certain amount of Intel. So again, that gets into the very interesting ticking clock. Do you want to fly off somewhere and spend your turns doing something else, getting recruits or maybe unlocking something? Or do you want to go back there and gain this resource of intel? There are several other things going on in the world that might get you access to another resource they call supplies. One of these is a black market. And you can fly to the black market, and the black market will basically trade back and forth between the resources. It's kind of one of the only ways you can pretty much choose which one you get. You can spend intel at the black market to get uh, regular resources or supplies, or you can sell off your stuff and get supplies or sometimes uh, alien resource type stuff. And then you can sort of research and expand your knowledge of uh, what you have access to. Similar to the first game, you do want to build up your base, which is done by gaining access to sort of the space in the base, and then build a room there, and then you can sometimes upgrade the rooms. And again, clearing space and building the rooms take time, so that's again sort of a, a linked aspect to the overall board game strategy. You're spending turns in certain places before you go do things, but you also are spending time building stuff in your base to get access to either different soldier abilities or different technologies. So all of those different clocks need to be managed. What are you doing? When is it going to come up? And what are you going to have access to when you do a certain thing? One thing that is very different from the first game is that this base is not a stationary location. This is actually a captured alien ship. So the base actually moves around the board in the board game like uh, strategy section, as I mentioned. The UFO mini chase is gone because usually the aliens don't know where you are and they aren't actively searching for you because they assume you're dead or that you're, you know, just a random local force to the area. But one of the things that can happen over the course of the game is that they will unlock an event that uh, basically initiates a chase and there are UFOs flying around and then you have to watch out for where they are on the board. That is part of sort of the board game 
uh, time-based strategy with things called dark events. These are things that take time to unlock. I think it's about a month per event. So that's sort of a, a global thing, pushing you along all the time, because more of those that unlock, the more and more difficult it will get to complete the game. And I think there are a maximum of 10. Uh, there are little squares on the top of uh, your screen. I haven't uh, bothered to count them, but I'm pretty sure it's 10. And you start with, I think, three active. And when you blow up uh, sort of a dark site location, it's, it's sort of a, a location tied to a particular event across the world. So as you get access to more sections of the world, you get access to more of these sites. And then you take down the site, and then that event uh, stops happening. It will sort of reverse that clock. One of the biggest changes which actually helps the game sort of in terms of difficulty is this new loot system. Occasionally items will drop when you kill a creature that will be mods that you can put on your weapons. And these mods will permanently attach to the weapon. So as long as your soldier can keep that weapon or your other soldiers can retrieve that weapon, you can pass it on from soldier to soldier. Because it can be equipped uh, just like any uh, equipable thing. And so it can trade between soldiers. And that equipment will sort of improve the base things of the weapon. You'll get scopes that improve aim or some will improve critical. You'll get a thing called a hair trigger, which has a certain small percentage that, if it happens, uh, firing the weapon doesn't take an action. I've never seen it go off more than once. Uh, and it's actually pretty rare when it happens. The base percent chance is like 5%. So I've only seen it happen a couple of times ever in my 75 hours of play. But that can be like totally game-changing when it does. There are barrel modifications which will add fixed amounts of damage when you actually miss a creature. So that's actually really super helpful. I actually like that one quite a bit. And there's like a crazy one that adds a pretty small percent chance that you'll automatically kill a critter when you hit it. Uh, no matter what damage you do, as long as you hit it, it just instantly dies regardless of its hit points, which can be totally incredibly amazing. I think that's only happened to me like three times ever, but one of the times was one of the first few times I had encountered one of the really big mech units, and uh, I had a sniper with that ability on, and he was like the second person to shoot at them, so they have like a ton of hit points and a ton of armor, and then I hit him with the sniper, and it's like, oh, the thing went off, and it's instantly dead. And I'm like, oh my god, that saved me so much pain. Because I was still new to encountering these guys. I didn't really know their full capabilities yet, and I knew this guy was going to be serious bad news for me, because they sort of surprised us, and we were in a very bad position. So I got really lucky with that. So the new equipment can be really game-changing. As long as you're on a mission where you extract and you win the mission, any equipment on the floor will automatically be taken with you. But if you're on a mission that, say, you have to get to a certain location to extract from, if a soldier drops in that mission, in order to get that equipment, you actually have to have another soldier go over to them, pick them up, and then they're sort of encumbered. They, they lose a lot of their movement. And I'm pretty sure they can't shoot when they're in that uh, state. And they will slowly carry that soldier out with the equipment. So you have to be really careful not to lose the equipment. 
uh, because it really does help. Like I said, if you lose a soldier and you get out, when you give a new soldier that equipment, you know, they're not quite a total noob. They have, you know, a beefed up uh, piece of equipment. And they'll have, you know, the other standard stuff from the previous game, you know, in terms of armor or uh, grenades or that kind of stuff. So that will help as well. So they aren't quite as fresh of a recruit as they previously would be. Did you have quite a leg up because of the new equipment system? Another thing which I'm pretty sure is new to the XCOM series is this thing called a chip. But this is basically a spot in the kind of the inventory. It goes into the soldier and you can't really swap it out once it's in there. You can replace it, but you can't like take it out and give it to another soldier. And these are things that'll boost their sort of stats permanently. It'll give them better aim, better will better mobility so they can move further, things like that. So those are another way to sort of enhance the character through loot. But, uh, like I said, these can't be taken out of the soldier. So in this case, if a soldier dies and they have a chip in them, that's, that's lost forever. Soldier feedback in terms of their attitude is actually really cool. I don't know if there are any add-ons or mods that allow you to sort of change their attitude because... I don't have any of those loaded, and by default, uh, their attitude is sort of locked. But their attitude can actually change over time. They'll be kind of depressed and sad-looking and sort of not very animated, or sometimes they'll be super happy and they'll kind of be bouncing around and standing up tall. And I've actually seen their attitude sort of change from the start of the mission to the end. Like if you have a bunch of soldiers, when they're flying in, you know, the sad soldiers will look kind of sad, and the average soldiers will look just kind of, you know, a little bit anxious, but not too anxious. And then I've seen a, a really good mission go by where we take no losses, barely anybody's hurt. And when they're flying out of the mission, they'll be super happy, and they'll be smiling, and they'll be kind of bouncing around a little in their seat. So that's a really nice touch. I really like that sort of personal touch to the soldiers as well as all of the new customization options. There are tons and tons and tons of customization options for the soldiers now, so I don't quite feel the need to sort of color them like I used to with the first game. The first game, they pretty much looked so similar. I would always color a specific class, a specific color, so I could tell, oh, this is a heavy, this is an assault class, this is a support, and I could see them very clearly and quickly. In this game, all of their equipment and stuff is so different looking. They do have their class-based stuff, so you pretty much know which class is which. But in terms of how they look in terms of their gear, uh, they all do stand out quite a bit more than the first game. I do still color them just because, I don't know, mostly out of habit. But it's really easy to tell who is what class in this game compared to the first game, where it was much more difficult to tell. There are quite a bit more bad guys in XCOM 2 than there were in XCOM 1, which I'm really happy for. Uh, that was one thing in the first game that it's like I got tired of really quickly because you'd see the same guys over and over and over and over. Now, I mean, you do still see sort of the same guys over and over, but it is sort of a longer progression. So you see these guys for a while, and then you start to see these other guys. And then you don't really see those first guys anymore because you're seeing another new type of guy. So there is that sort of progression. It would be actually really completely awesome 
if there were like different kinds of alien forces and it's like, oh, this game you're getting uh, a stronger force of this side of them and, you know, they would like change what kind of guys that you fought off against. But I guess I understand why they don't do that. It is sort of a a heavily progression-based system and if you introduce that much randomness, um, you know, it could be kind of bad. And when speaking of randomness, I didn't mention this, but the missions in XCOM 2 are all randomly generated. The maps are uh, different each time. I don't know if I've ever seen the same exact map. They certainly have tile sets that you sort of get used to. Oh, this is a wilderness set. This is a in the city set. This is this set. But I don't think I've ever seen one that's exactly the same. And the positions of the bad guys are always different as well. You do also start out in this new uh, concealed mode where you can sort of sneak around a little bit. Um, I didn't go over that. Uh, I guess I might have probably should have because that is another big change from the first game. But you kind of get used to that really quickly. I don't know if it's that, if that's really worth going over. It just sort of gives you a chance to get your guys set up uh, before you initiate combat. Whereas before you'd like run around the map really fast and run into a group of bad guys and the bad guys would get to go and it felt like, oh my god, they always get the drop on me because they were always triggering and then that group would get to go. Now you have sort of this chance uh, when you're concealed to sort of get the drop on them and get in position uh, before you trigger that first pod. I like XCOM 2 quite a bit. If you liked the first one, I would highly recommend the second one. If you are new to the series, I would be a little hesitant to recommend it because, like I said, there is that first difficulty setting that's quite a bit harder than the first game. So somebody new to this sort of uh, type of game might have a bit tougher time. I'm hoping maybe that's something they could patch in later, have, you know, another difficulty that's even lower, sort of for, uh, you know, extended training or people who are totally new to the genre. It seems odd to me that they would start with such a a steep curve. But if you are into turn-based strategy games, which I know are really, really rare these days from what I've seen, I would certainly highly recommend it. It is still kind of full-priced. Uh, but that might change soon now that it's been out for about four months. Uh, usually about six months is where things start to drop off in price. So you might be able to see it on sale pretty soon. From the newsroom. A little bit of stuff for news this time. The Warcraft movie is now out. I haven't checked reviews and uh, sort of thoughts on it lately, but when it was brand new, sort of that opening weekend, it was getting really crushingly bad ratings uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, I I don't swear by, but um, they're usually pretty accurate. If the uh, reviewer rating is really bad and people who liked it uh, is really low, then it's probably genuinely a bad movie. And in this case, it was kind of mixed. The reviewer rating was, like, incredibly low, uh, one of the lowest ratings I'd ever seen. And the people who liked it was kind of mixed at about, I think it was 40 or 50%. It wasn't that high either. might be a little higher now because they are saying 
Uh, it's like the most grossing video game-based movie ever. So maybe that's changed a bit. I might look at the rating again. But I do only have uh, money in a gift card for one movie. Uh, so I'm probably going to save that for Star Trek because I definitely want to see that on the big screen. Uh, when it comes out, I think in a month or two, I think it's pretty soon. The big news is news from E3, which is the Xbox Play Anywhere program, which I guess only has about a dozen games that are going to have it uh, that are coming up soon. But this is finally the sort of cross-platform play that was rumored back when Xbox One first came out that Xbox One games would also be playable on PC if you have Windows 10. It's not exactly like it was first rumored. It was kind of first rumored that you'd get the disc and just pop it into your PC. But it seems like what they're doing is a digital copy. So I would assume if you downloaded an Xbox One, you'd get the Xbox One client. If you downloaded it for PC, you'd get the PC client. But basically what this is, is if you log in uh, with your Xbox Live, account, which you would need to do if you were going to play such a thing, you can then play it either on your PC or on Xbox One, and your, I assume, game save, and certainly your achievements and stuff would all be uh, bound to your account, so it wouldn't matter where you played it, and the network uh, is shared, the Xbox Live network. So I would assume uh, if there is some kind of in-game chat feature and such, or uh, co-op you would be able to play with your friends cross-platform. They kind of said uh, you could do that. So that's kind of a huge deal for Xbox because now they're going to have you know Xbox console games plus PC games. Now, of course, this is not every single game that's going to come out on Xbox One. This is just the Microsoft exclusive titles, things like probably the next Halo they do. I know it's not with Halo 5. But probably the next one they do would have it. Uh, the new Gears of War that's coming up is going to have it. And a few other games are going to have it. So anything which has previously been Xbox exclusive uh, will probably go Xbox Play Anywhere. Uh, so that way they can get the PC players and the console players. And yes, that does sort of beg the question of if you have a PC, why would you ever buy an Xbox One then? And the answer is they probably don't care. Uh, I mean, they do get money for the hardware if you buy an Xbox One. But if you're going to buy their exclusive game, I think that's what matters to them most uh, to gather that sort of market. And, you know, it is a very different experience to play in your, uh, you know, living room, uh, sitting on a couch on your big screen instead of, you know, at your computer desk. But that is, you know, pretty huge uh, news for anybody who does happen to have both. Uh, you can play on either. And the last news, which I haven't been able to verify because I'm recording this in the morning and I haven't been online to double check, but rumors were that the Steam summer sale would be starting. Uh, today is Thursday for me. By the time you get this, it'll be Saturday. So if the rumor is true, it is definitely happening by the weekend. And if I recall, it usually goes on for like a week or uh, two weeks. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But it's certainly something to keep your eye on if you are into Steam games and uh, want to pick them up for the cheap. Uh, you could get some good deals. A lot of other companies usually also have sort of sales at this same time. 
sort of to go alongside, you know, with all the hype of the Steam sale. Uh, sometimes other companies who don't sell their stuff through Steam are like, oh, we're selling our stuff too. So watch out for all the sales uh, this weekend, and I guess probably next week after this podcast comes out, they'll probably be going on as well. So you might be able to get some good deals there. Ahoy there, and welcome to the treasure chest. We gather to thank those who surrendered booty to the rabbit. I'm sure we can all agree we love a little booty now and then. <laughs> the following be all the rapscallions that donated their booty. We do be thanking Sean R. Again, for the most generous donations. Three cheers for regular generous donations. Hip hip. Arr, hip hip. Arr, hip hip. So that's it for this podcast. I'm feeling a bit better. As I said, I got a big donation and that will cover registration. There's still some other stuff I'm freaking out about. I still have to do another uh, car insurance payment. It might be the last one, so it might only be half as much, which would be awesome. Because I know the last one was like a, a half a payment. But the very generous Sean R. Uh, also sent money, uh, sort of earmarked to get something nice uh, for playtime so i will be looking at doing that possibly something in the steam sale so i might have a, a big something to get he had originally mentioned that i should get the expansions for a game i've been talking about uh, in my epic fail writings but actually heavily researching it i, I think i might not get both of the expansions uh, for elder scrolls online because one of them just adds like a passive line and a few quests and then I've been talking to some friends who have played through it, and it's like once you finish those quests, uh, it doesn't really do anything for you because those uh, passive abilities aren't really used outside of that for regular dungeoning type stuff, which is mostly what I do. I, I do mostly dungeoning when I'm fighting, and I'll do uh, crafting stuff if I'm just peeking in. So that Dark Brotherhood expansion doesn't really help me in that case, and I don't lose access to like dungeons or something because it doesn't have any so I may not pick that one up and I may go with a slightly lower investment there and uh, spend the, some monies on a game on the Steam sale which I'm kind of really hoping Rebel Galaxy goes on sale that would be awesome because that's like 15 or 20 bucks normally so it might go on sale for as low as like 7 which would be super awesome I would totally get that in a heartbeat if that were to happen. But I can let people know um, in a few weeks, uh, whatever I get will probably be something I talk about uh, next time. But there's a great deal of pressure uh, taken off of me with those donations to be able to pay off the most uh, stressful things. There are some smaller stressful things still, so more help is definitely always appreciated and needed. But the big things uh, will be gone, and 
hopefully I'll be able to um, be less stressed about that. I am kind of sad, though, lately, because there's the end of the quarter, which is always kind of sad. Everybody's uh, moving on, and I'm still staying still, especially since it's basically the end of the year. We do still have summer coming up next week, but, you know, hardly anybody goes to summer. And two, it's a reminder that, you know, another year of Epic Fail is ending. So that's my uh, eighth year uh, homeless. And I'll be starting the ninth uh, in July, which is crazy to think about. So that got me pretty sad. But, you know, hopefully once those uh, changes flip to uh, starting, then, you know, there'll be sort of hope for the future again. But hopefully everybody out there is not having a terrible time like me. And I'll see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbit's ramblings dot html. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you like my page, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on YouTube at rabbitdot.com. I have a page on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash rabbit, R-A-B-B, number one T. You can set up a monthly recurring subscription there at a price point of your choice. Be sure to put the number one in place of I anytime you type rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2016 by Eric Stryker, a.k.a. Rabbit.